0: Hello and welcome to the Not a Victim podcast. Not a Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. Today's guest is Timothy Price. All right, man, so just tell me a little bit about your background and upbringing everything from childhood to uh, adolescence and just all that stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks, Zach for having me on. Um, as I jump into my story, I mean I had the ideal, like childhood grew up uh, with a really awesome family, was a Christian from really day one. I mean, I I grew up in church as a baby, I was sprinkled in church. And so I had this awesome childhood looking back. And uh, so about the first 10, 12 years, man, just played sports, put everything into sports. Uh, My dad was my coach for, you know, baseball, for basketball, for soccer and uh, loved it. Uh, Still going to church on Sundays. But what I found was by the time I was, you know, 15 years old, I was getting a lot of identity from sports. Um, I would get a lot of that of boys. The more goals I scored, the better and more attention I got. And so, you know, I really put all of my energy into that. So kind of playing that on through high school, continued the same thing, put all of my heart into sports, played soccer. And um, one day I kind of woke up and I realized like, wow, who, who am I? You know, because I had this, like I said, I grew up on a farm. We had 70 acres full of dirt bikes. We had a basketball court. I mean, it was just a great life and family was amazing. But what I realized was when I hit about 19 years old, graduating high school, I was lost. I was looking for who I was in the sports that I had learned to get my identity from. Now, I couldn't use those same sports. Um, because I was graduating, I wasn't going to college to play sports, I was going to college to get an education right and so yeah,
0: great, um yeah, you sort of answered this already, but uh, what was your experience of coming to faith? You said it was just part of your mm-hmm. cultural upbringing of the the family you were born into, but when do you think it became more first person?
1: Yeah, uh so twelve years old, gave my life to Christ uh, in the church I grew up in. And I think what I found was I, I had that moment, but I didn't know the next step from there. Um, I wasn't in a church where discipleship was the focus. And so about eighteen nineteen when I was having that identity question, I realized that, hold on, now I'm getting my identity from other things, like alcohol, because on the weekends I'd started filling that need there because sports was gone, right. now I took that step. So... About 20 years old is when I actually found Jesus and had a relationship with him. So uh, there was about 10 years where I'd given my life to Christ, but I wasn't actually living and making him a priority in my life. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah.
0: So like the, the sports obviously fill a lot of your time and, you know, touch on a part of your sort of gifting. But outside of that also was sort of social currency and um kind of giving your life a track to run on um and so you know do you think that like the drinking and all that kind of came as a way to find okay which guy am i am i like party guy or just like who am i now (laughs) now that i was sports guy now that i'm not a sports guy what you know like how do i where am i in the group
1: yeah uh so i think what it was was there was something more that I was looking for. Like the, the sports actually did something for me. They met a need on the inside. I was getting love based off of my performance. And when that kind of went away, when I entered my college years, what I started to, to realize was there was this big hole, mm-hmm. you know? And so I started filling it with, you know, trying to fit in with people, trying to be likable, um, and it led me to a group that was you know hanging out drinking on the weekend so what i did was i took a hold of that and i filled that hole with with alcohol and what i didn't realize was that i had an addictive personality so what started as alcohol then it went to you know marijuana then it went to you know cocaine and then it went to other drugs that would meet that need and and what i realized at about 21 is i finally kind of got to a rock bottom point of like hold on like this isn't sustainable like i can't right. take all of the drugs and drink as much as i want every day and still have a life in a future right. my health was going away so at that point it's like okay what can i put in this big hole now mm-hmm. you know now that it's not sports now that it's not you know drinking and trying to fit in with just groups of people well that's when jesus became my focal point is because i was like man I, i've tried everything else you know i've tried this i've I've tried that, but now I'm going to try a relationship with him. I'm actually going to play out some of the things that I had knowledge about growing up in church. I'm actually going to try to live out those principles and and, and do my best to focus on him and change you know, what I had become and to become something that I've never been.
0: Okay, so the next question is, and um, I say this every time just as a precursor to why I'm asking this question, but um, about eight years ago, I went through a really um, difficult breakup. It was actually the first breakup I'd ever been through. And so over time, the relationship had become very codependent for me. It had be- sort of taken, not sort of, it had completely taken the place of God as a thing to uh, get meaning from. And because this is the first time i was experienced this kind of uh, relationship, it was this like source of kind of kindness and attention and all that that I had never experienced before that point. And so when it happened, I really sort of latched onto that. And uh, so when it ended, and it, it ended as all relationships like that do because of how how um, unhealthy it was. When it ended, rather than uh, than just being sort of bummed out for, I don't know, a couple of weeks or a month or whatever, because it had taken the place of God in my heart, when it ended, I really started uh, just, yeah, I really started sort of, um, I started experiencing depression, which I had never experienced before, and uh, for several months, and uh, and eventually that led to, to being in a place of of being kind of suicidal and, and very, uh, definitely heading that direction of, uh, of suicide. And so, as that... As I neared that direction, um, there was part of me that knew that things could change. And there was part of me that believed that maybe it will always be like this. And the reason I felt that way is because for several months before that, every day was the same. I had this same sense of dread every single day. And, um, and it was like crying every day and hiding it every day. And uh, my neither of my parents knew. My brother didn't know. And no one else that was close to me knew. Um, and I was very intentional to, to keep them from knowing, uh, partially because I felt like if they care, then they will find out, and then, you know, when I tell them I'm fine, if they care, they'll push way past that because they know me, and they'll see that everything is not okay, and, uh, and they'll, they'll break through this. But that didn't happen. They didn't notice. Uh, I told them I was fine. They totally believed me and, and went on with their lives as, as they probably should have. But given that, um, the question is, have you ever had a season that you felt like you would never get out of?
1: Man, that's a great question. Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, it it was that season of drug abuse for me. It was, you know, I had found myself at such a rock bottom. I mean, you know, I was going to college, working a job. But when I would get home, I would pull a mirror out from under my bed, you know, just to snort a line of cocaine and drink, you know, all of the pain away in my life. The hurt that had built up underneath that I wasn't willing to open up about or I was scared to open up about. And so I played that out, you know, for four or five years every day, you know, trying to push it further down to a point of, graduating with my associate degree from Reinhardt College, literally getting in the car driving home uh, and passing out behind the wheel of an automobile hitting a tree head-on um, and woke, woke up in the emergency room, you know, not able to see airbags that took off the outside of my eyes, broken um, with a few people around the hospital bed. It was my mom, it was my dad, my pastor, and my grandmother and I had no idea what happened but what I What I did realize was that was my fourth arrest in a matter of eight months. And I was going to actually have to serve time for this one. Um, So it it wasn't like I was, I had dreamed about becoming an addict, but I was at the point now where I either had to serve two years or I had to go into a long-term residential drug and alcohol program. So to answer your question, absolutely. Um, I was in a program for almost two years. Uh, which it was a controlled environment with no TV, no phones, nothing like that. And so I was at a rock bottom state, broken. I I couldn't have visitation with my family. And I did not know if I was going to be able to make it through this. I did not know that I even really wanted to make it through it at this point. But what I did know was I was cornered. Life had cornered me. And I had no options at that point but to either end my life or – work the program and do my best to try to make it through. And it was a day-by-day thing for me. It was like, today I'm going to get up and I'm going to fight to get through this program. I'm going to address some things in my heart, but I don't know that I can do it tomorrow. But I have strength to do it today. So that was a season where I can definitely relate with you. Mm. Uh,
0: What are some things, and some of these will be obvious, some of them probably won't, but what are some things that the program... uh, sort of reprogrammed about your daily life. Obviously, they, like you said, they're, you know, they took away the, or you were totally without the the drugs and all that, but drugs and every other vice uh, pretty much stems from similar things, that it's not really about the vice, it's about why you do it. And so, given that, what are some, just what are things that they changed that they helped you rewire what normal was?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things, and looking back at it, I can totally see what you're saying. It was definitely not the drugs that were the problem, but they they were definitely the way that I coped. And so I think one thing the program offered was uh, a daily moral inventory of myself. So I was actually looking at kind of how I was behaving on a daily basis. So uh, there was a strict schedule in the program. Obviously, every minute of the day was accounted for. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had a work program. That's probably
0: kind of big, too.
1: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, they were teaching you different trades. You know, there's an auto shop. There was a graphic design studio. There was a greenhouse. There was... Mm -hmm. You know there was a thrift store, so they would place you in different industries so that you could get job skills and that was awesome, right? that was building confidence, but I think the bigger thing for me was the daily schedule was the accountability to the schedule like if i didn't uh if I didn't follow through with it i wasn't I wasn't allowed to bed there. I would have to go serve my time in jail so if i did if I didn't work the program uh you know but that schedule taught me how to get up quick, get up early and then have a time of, of quiet you know Bible reading where I would focus uh, on my relationship with Christ and that was intentional and that was every day and I did that for you know two years in a program and then I've modeled that for the last 13 years. Every day I get up and I have an hour and a half of Bible time and just prayer and so you know that helped but the work day helped. And then the small groups we did in the evening time. So every every night I would meet with a group, and we would talk about our day, and we would share with each other the wins and the losses, and we would get real. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't going to be open and transparent in those groups, then they would call you out because everybody in that group had been through an addiction. Mm-hmm. So you you've heard that saying you can't con a con right, uh, and that was definitely the the, the truth there. Mm-hmm. You know, so
0: and do you uh, think it was you think it played a part that they didn't allow you to have huge chunks of just idle time
1: yeah uh, absolutely that was a big part of it um, n- not a whole lot of time to to think about you know poor pitiful me you <laughs> yeah. know I don't have a whole lot going for me it was like no I mean it was like you had somewhere to be
0: right every minute of the day I think that hugely fed into uh, to my depression was um, was just over overthinking every aspect of my life that's something I deal with every day but um, and this at this point, because I felt so isolated, I was indulging in overthinking in a way more so than I ever had before and uh for this reason, I take issue with the idea the sort of eat, pray, love philosophy that you uh that you find yourself when you go to some nice trip to India or whatever <clears throat> because during this <laughs> because during this time when I was um becoming suicidal, I had never been more in touch uh with my own thoughts and with my own feelings, and uh it w- it became very clear that I needed something new from the outside um, to change what was inside. Um, what would you say to the person who is in between... Oh, now it's me. What, what would you say to, to someone who is in between um, you know, the old crowd and the new crowd where when you leave old negative traits behind uh, and, and negative people behind, the new people don't just immediately walk in your life and they aren't immediately waiting for you necessarily. There's this weird part where you don't feel comfortable in church because everyone is too put together maybe and you don't feel comfortable back where you used to be because you don't want to be that person anymore. Um just yeah, what do you say to someone who feels like they're in a transitional period?
1: Yeah, I you know, I would say keep going. You know, the transition is the easiest place to fall apart. It's like if you take a pair of your jeans, you know, you you're going to rip them in the transition because that's where they're knitted together, and so for me it's definitely it didn't you didn't get to where you were overnight and you're not going to get out overnight, mm-hmm. so keep consistent in doing what is healthy and what is allowing you to grow and develop uh, you didn't contaminate your mind in one day mm-hmm. you know it, you, you went that direction for maybe years, maybe you've been going that direction for years, and so we automatically want the magic wand over our lives like oh change me you know the whole microwave uh society you know we want it quick we want it now but keep going because you can't renew your mind in a day you know people start reading the bible and they're like why well, don't see change well hold on you didn't get there overnight you got to give the scripture time to work you got to give the new relationships time to work you got to give your effort in developing yourself whether it's mentally emotionally time to work if you got if you got to where you were in a couple years give it a couple years to get out Mm. and that's the one thing that i saw consistent throughout that program that i was in was hold on you've been you've been doing drugs for years Mm. okay don't think you're going to turn your life around in five days You know, it may take you years to get out of this hole, but keep going, Mm. you know, and now I can, you know, obviously say that I've gotten out of the hole, Mm. you know, and I'm climbing and I'm climbing and I'm growing. So,
0: Mm. and I feel like, uh, everything from something huge like this to something like going to the gym or whatever, um, my brain tends to work where like, if I'm not going to look like John Cena, then I might as well not go. It's like an all or nothing sort of very unhealthy, Mm. uh, line of thinking, whereas, Uh, in reality the times when I do go that one day didn't change everything but I feel really good that I did this hard good thing and it's that um, this is kind of feeding on what you were saying that when you are on the right path even when the results aren't immediately coming there is still some um, sort of unspoken uh, acknowledgement internally that like this is really hard but it's right just, do you have any specific examples, and I wanted, for context, um actually I'll let you say this, but um just talk a little bit about, you know, where you are now as far as your ministry now, and then any specific stories of ways that all the stuff you went through has helped someone someone else going through a similar season. Yeah,
1: so man, today, I mean, I, I give God all the glory for where I'm at, Um 13 years sober, I spent at least 12 of those years in ministry. So as soon as I came out of the program for, you know, drug abuse, I got so in love with the Father, so in love with God that I I wanted to commit my life to Him, for Him saving me, for Him loving me, for Him giving me a second chance at life. So I've been on that plane for the last 12 years of just serving in ministry. I, I did seven years with Uh, in the recovery industry so I was giving back to guys that were abusing drugs and then I wanted to get on the front end of ministry and maybe be on the prevention side so not just helping people get through addiction but actually going into pastoral ministry where you're actually sharing the gospel and helping get ahead of of that abuse and so the last four years I've been at Free Chapel serving um, as a young adult pastor you know helping young adults in that transition of finding out who they are and where they're where they're called to be mm-hmm. you know helping them find that place and i'm telling you it's so rewarding to see somebody get it somebody's eyes open up and find you know where they're called to be in life so uh, i do that um throughout the week and share with young adults and you know and just feel like god's got so much more in store but i would say the, you know the thing for me, Malcolm Gladwell had a, has a book called The Tipping Point, and you know going back to what we were talking about, you never know when breakthrough is going to happen. When you stay faithful and consistent to staying healthy every day and being accountable. With issues that are going on inside of you, like if you're struggling with something, you know, get it out in the open because you never know when that tipping point is going to happen and when your time is going to arrive, where you have breakthrough in your life and you're completely transformed into that new person that you never thought you would become. And that's that's where the daily staying faithful daily comes into play Mm -hmm. and it it truly i've experienced the tipping point and i believe i'm experiencing even now and today where because i've been faithful Mm -hmm. over the last 13 years god continues to open up opportunities because people can trust my behavior they trust where i'm going you're
0: very consistent when you met your wife, how was that different from previous relationships? Uh, you know, when beforehand, you know what I mean.
1: Right. Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think for me, it's you know finding Henry Ford's got a, a great quote. It says, fail your way to success." You know, I feel like when it comes to relationships, I failed my way to success. You know, I didn't know what I wanted out the gate. Uh, I thought I wanted all these things, but they were the things that I didn't need. And so I found out with my wife now all of the things that I wanted before I got there. Mm. And I was healthy enough to, to not fall into any unhealthy traps as I was going through the process of dating mm. as a Christian. Mm. And so I found that my wife and I found somebody that perfectly complements me in every way. And I think the biggest thing that I'll point out with this, act was that I figured out what I valued and I figured out who I was before I entered into that relationship. I knew my vision. I knew my values. And now it was just aligning uh, the, a woman with those values mm. and so, so that, that had a similar vision. Mm. And I think that that is what has allowed me to fall in love with her but stay in love with her. Is because we have a similar vision, and we value the same things in life. Not just going for the outside in, but coming from the inside out when it it comes to relationships.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Tim, any closing thoughts or things you want to say about uh, the ministry here, any of that stuff? You have a book to sell. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. (laughs) Thank you, Zach, so much for being on this. I
1: I, I think what you're doing is incredible, and I think you're having huge impact by the way that you're being transparent. So that would be my takeaway for everybody listening to this is be transparent. It's okay not to have things together. Be okay with who you are, and in the process, you'll become who you're supposed to be. Thank you so much, Mm. Zach.
0: Amazing. See you guys.